How's it going, everybody? And welcome to episode number 65 of Master My Garden podcast. Now, this week's episode is an exciting one. We're joined by Dr. Una Fitzpatrick, the project coordinator of the all Ireland Pollinator Plan, which is a superb plan that's going into its second phase now. So the first plan, 2015 to 2020, just finished at the end of the year. And the new plan launched on the 26th of March. And I suppose there has been huge, there's been huge traction gained in the first plan, but the new plan is going to add to that. And I previously spoke to Anita Brown and we sort of talked about it a little bit. We're going to delve into it in a lot more detail here now. So Una, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden podcast. Thanks, John. It's lovely to be here. Yeah. So as I say, you're, you're the, I suppose yourself and Jane Stout are the two original people who came up with this concept and it really has been groundbreaking not just from an Irish perspective but worldwide the plan has got a lot of attention because it was the first kind of plan that addressed the issues of pollinator decline but seemed to do it in a way that was inclusive of all the the stakeholders was that the sort of original concept and and where did it originally develop from? Yeah, so I suppose it, it was a long time in the planning. So I work in the National Biodiversity Data Centre and we manage information on Ireland's wildlife. So we track what we have in Ireland and how it's changing. Okay. So I suppose for a long time we knew that pollinators particularly are, are, are wild bees were in a lot of trouble. So we knew, you know, that one third of our wild bees were threatened with extinction. You know, we could see that happening year after year. At the same time, there was research going on in universities and particularly with Jane Stoughton in Trinity on why it was happening and what you could do about it. So I suppose Jane and I, you know, came together and said, you know, we know there's a problem. We know what we could do about it. You know, you either sit by and watch it happening or you try to do something. So that's where the original plan came out of. We wanted to try and come up with some sort of framework where you could deal with this problem and try to take positive action going forward. So we drafted an initial plan back in 2014, and then we called together an All-Ireland Steering Group with all the people who might be able to, you know, progress it. And it was then published in 2015, and the first plan had that five-year um, phase. So, you know, as, as you say, it's just come to an end. And I suppose you're right, you know, we want it to try and do things a wee bit differently in Ireland. I suppose partly because it was coming from that kind of ground-up um, perspective. You know, we wanted to try and get everyone to buy into it and explain the problem, what you could do about it, and, and try to bring people together in a way, I suppose, that you, that you hadn't seen in other national strategies in other countries. And again, you know, when you start something like that, you don't know what people are going to make of it. But really, you know, it's been fantastic. And the amount of support that we've seen across all sectors has just been amazing. Yeah. I, I think the, for, for me, looking at it, the, the approach and how, as you said, you were using the the carrot as opposed to the stick, sort of a an approach, and it was inclusive to everybody who would have an impact or be impacted by, you know, the pollinator decline, or was some part involved in in that. And the fact that you brought brought everybody together, I suppose, if it it showed it showed that that was the correct approach, that it couldn't be just done by single-handedly the public authorities or agriculture or gardeners. It, it needed to be all-inclusive. And I thought I thought that that element of it was superb. How, 
I suppose the original objectives obviously were, I, I guess, initially to halt the decline. But I would assume that it would be also going forward to try and increase the the numbers of pollinators. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, that's exactly right, John. And I suppose, again, probably because we didn't have to do this, you know, tracking whether or not it's working has always been a huge part of it. And it's always been something, you know, that everyone's in the steering group feels really strongly about. So we always wanted to make sure there were mechanisms that we could track. And and really, we wanted to do that within the first plan in three ways. You know, there were 81 actions, core actions identified in the first plan. We wanted to make sure that we delivered those within the five years, which we did. The second thing is that, as you say, Anybody who has any responsibility for a piece of land, you know, from the smallest window box to the biggest farm, can take action. And that's what we were trying, you know, to encourage. And what we wanted to do was to try to track. Really, if you, if you want to help pollinators, it's about providing them with food, shelter and safety, you know, food to eat somewhere where they can nest and then safety from, from the various chemicals that we use. So, you know, it's about food, shelter and safety, but we wanted to track who was helping with that and where there was pollinator-friendly habitat, however big or small, going back into the landscape. So that was the second way that we wanted to track. We wanted to show all these sites across all sectors, you know, from gardens to farms to council sites to schools to whatever. We wanted to show all those coming together and and, and taking positive action. And then, of course, you know, the the third thing that that you said, you know, the plan is only going to be a success, you know, within 5, 10, 20, 100 years' time. You know, the island is buzzing with with healthy, stable pollinator populations that are providing us with the services that we need. Mm -hmm. That is something that we track within the National Biodiversity Data Centre. You know, so we track changes in our our wildlife, you know, so we'll track changes in our our wild bees and other pollinators. That's something that you might not expect to see changes in straight away. You know, yourself, you know, you have to put what they need back and then give them time to respond to that. So I suppose that's the one that we probably won't see the, the bounce back, you know, un- until perhaps the end of the next one or even the one after that. But certainly we're ready to track those things, you know, and, and the, if, if the other things that we are using, you know, to show progress or any indication, hopefully, you know, we are going in the right direction. Okay. So uh, at, uh, as the, the first plan ends, essentially what has been, the, the groundwork that has been done is that, I guess, habitats and food sources are being reintroduced is that a correct way of putting it that's it exactly yeah that's it exactly and you know across all sectors so there's so many councils now there's so many local communities there's so many people in the garden there's so many schools there's so many businesses that have all got involved and started doing this so yeah that's it exactly you know we're starting to put pollinator or biodiversity friendly habitat back into the landscape and now you know we have to give the, the insects themselves a chance to respond to that okay and that that's what takes the time it takes a wee bit of time for pollinators, not as long as some other um, aspects of our biodiversity. Pollinators are quite quick because they have short life cycles and, and, and so on. So they're quite quick to respond. But yeah, certainly you have to give them a bit of time. Yeah. And I guess a sort of a, sort of a, a side um, benefit of all this is that if if there is biodiversity and, you know, habitats are being placed back for, for pollinators, that has a wider a wider benefit to, you know, to, to all biodiversity. So your your birds get some benefit and your soil gets, you know, the benefit for the soil and it gives you 
not just specifically to pollinators, but there is knock on benefits into other elements of, of biodiversity as well, isn't there? That's it, exactly. And, you know, there's huge biodiversity loss in Ireland and sometimes that's kind of a wee bit overwhelming. You know, it's hard to feel empowered yourself to know what to do about it. But pollinators are a brilliant vehicle just for selling that wider message. So the, the actions that you are taking for pollinators are helping a whole swathe of other biodiversity. So that's it exactly. You know, that they're a brilliant mechanism by which you can take positive action and know that you're helping biodiversity generally. Yeah, As the, the bumblebee is seen as the, I suppose, the the flagship or the most important element of it. But the bumblebee is actually, in terms of the bees, it's it's only one of our, is it 99, 98 species? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's 99 different kinds of bees in Ireland. And, you know, sometimes people are surprised if, if they don't know this already. So there's one honeybee, which is kept by beekeepers. That's a managed pollinator. And the honeybee isn't in any difficulties. But then there are 21 different kinds of bumblebees and there's 77 different kinds of what are called solitary bees. So you've got these 98, you know, wild bees in total then plus the, plus the one, 99, the honeybee. Yeah, and, and and the honeybee is is really not under massive strain, although some people say that they are a little bit as well, but... Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, you know, honeybees face plenty of issues, you know, as well, whether it's, you know, disease or pesticides or things like that. But... They're not declining. I know sometimes people think, oh, I, I want to save the bees and I should get a hive, you know, whereas probably nothing is further from the truth. You know, the honeybee isn't in difficulty like that. Beekeeping is yeah. fantastic if, if that's what you're interested in. But, you know, it is the 98 wild bees that are threatened with extinction. So, you know, and there's lots of simple actions that you can take to help those. And, and as you said, to help biodiversity at the same time. Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, the the most standout thing for me has been the fact that you... And the plan has pulled all of the major stakeholders together. And, you know, from a gardening perspective, obviously, in terms of land mass, agriculture is by far the biggest. And it is probably the area where by vo- by area, the largest decrease in natural habitat has been. And then stepping down for that, local authorities and public parks and so on hold quite large land masses around around the country. And then stepping down from that again, gardeners, well, I suppose private gardens collectively hold a huge land mass as well. But looking up along the chain, it it's a lot easier for, say, an individual gardener who has a small garden to to think that they have that they're doing something positive when they look up along and they see, for example, the local park has, you know, taken some of this strategy on board and implemented wild areas and added back in pollinator plants into it so it's a lot easier for the gardener then to feel like i'm part of something here that i can do something about it when the bigger land masses up along the chain are actually contributing as well now at this point yeah that's it exactly and that was always kind of the sense that we wanted you know to have with the pollinator plan it is a plan of action you know we're all in it together there's I think you said at the very start, you know, no one has to take responsibility for this. We all do. And there's all there's actions that we everyone, every single person, as I said, you know, has any responsibility for a piece of land can help. Um, so, yeah, you're right. You know, it is. It's a shared plan of action. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, it's much easier to do something, you know, in your own garden if you see other people are also doing it. And actually, it's much easier to do it in your own garden if you see other gardens nearby doing it. You know, so yeah. I suppose the more people that get involved you know, the more normal this kind of thing becomes. 
and, and the more successful it, it then is, hopefully. Yeah, except I guess it becomes acceptable. And I think yeah. especially when public parks are, are doing something like that and then actually putting up signage to say, you know, this is a, a pollinator friendly area. This is, you know, a, a, a floral meadow, a wildflower meadow, whatever it is, and that they're, they're, they're conveying that message to the, the public, I guess. Yeah, and I'd have to pay tribute as well to Tidy Towns, who I think have been incredibly important in that space too. You know, Tidy Towns have really embraced the pollinator plan and made huge changes, you know, in towns and villages across the, the Republic. And, you know, I've been to so many at this stage, I'm just doing amazing things for pollinators. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's inspiring to see. And I think groups, local community groups, particularly Tidy Towns, who wouldn't always have had that, you know, mindset necessarily, but they've been able to embrace it and they've been able to normalise often a very slightly, you know, less tidy way of, of, of managing our land, but they've been able to, to embrace it really does, you know, help than everyone else. Yeah, there has been some brilliant examples and I know there was there was schemes in conjunction with wildflowers.ie and so on uh, where seeds were given out to people as, as part of the tidy towns um, but th th there has been really beautiful schemes and tidy towns switch over from the traditional hanging baskets and window boxes on the bridges to as you said the, the sort of wilder area with floral yeah. meadow um, and yeah. it, it has looked great yeah no absolutely and i suppose like what we've always tried to encourage is you know rather than planting anything just don't know and let it grow you know so we're just not cutting grass areas so much so that you give the natural wildflowers that are already in the seed bank a chance to grow you know where they've always grown where they want to grow but we just you know tend to tie them away yeah. So we've always tried to encourage people, you know, don't know and let it grow. And it's funny, like I know I had a call from, I had a call in the office last year or the year before from a lady who had a complaint. And I was going, oh no. And it was a tidy times group. And, you know, they had kind of somewhat reluctantly, now, to be honest, agreed to reduce mowing in a couple of areas around the village, just reduce mowing a little bit. Yeah. And the problem now was that so much um, clover had grown in these areas naturally. But now they couldn't cut them because there were so many bumblebees and they didn't know how to do it without running them over. Right. So, you know, I don't know what they want me to do about it now, but um, yeah, know, well, that was just to show you how easy it is to help if you do want to. Yeah, so that was the success of the plan. But I suppose that in itself is, you know, from a, a gardening perspective and even, even to be fair, from a, a local authority's perspective is the challenge because it is what is your perception of yeah. how an area should be? And I suppose we've been conditioned over the last, whatever, 10, 15, 20 years to think that every, you know, lawn space or grass space along a roadway should be mowed tight. And it's it's probably a little bit of a, a, a switch in thinking, I guess, to to go away from what you perceive that it should be and then to move your mind to where it actually could be with beautiful clover or, or other wildflowers in it yeah that that's exactly it that that really is exactly it you know we're so used to seeing you know things that look like golf courses you know and and, and it is it's moving away from that but it's so easy just you know just honest god we're just reducing knowing a wee bit i'm looking at a own garden here now and at the minute there's dandelions and i know dandelions you know aren't for everyone but there's such an important food source 
for bees, especially in spring when there's very little else for them to feed on. I really couldn't stress how important they are, to be honest, like a superfood. Mm. So, you know, at the minute in that little patch that I've just not mowed, you know, very frequently, there's dandelions. You know, if, if you just reduce your one, maybe if you're doing it every couple of weeks, just reduce it a little bit to once a month. You know, you start seeing, say, dandelions at this time of year. After that, you get things like clover coming through and all naturally. And then after that, you start getting, you know, birds with trifoil or little self-heal flowers, all, you know, packed full of pollen and nectar, brilliant for pollinators. Doesn't cost you anything. You know, you don't have to plant the seeds. You don't have to do anything. You just reduce more a little bit. And that is the most cost-effective way to help. And, yeah. and people say, oh, you know, it doesn't sound that good. It's amazing. Honestly, it really is amazing. And yeah. and you're right, we do have to battle the, you know, I suppose people's perceptions of, of what it should look like. And what we do struggle with a wee bit, to be honest, is that people say, okay, okay, I won't reduce the, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do something with a lawn. But sometimes instead of just reducing the lawn, what they want to do is to plant in wild flower seeds, you know, which might not necessarily be native, mightn't necessarily be good for pollinators whereas if you just let those natural you know many meadows appear themselves they're fantastic and that's the thing that's the thing that's best to do yeah and i suppose there is there's a few things in that like just to go back to the dandelion in mm. itself if you just took the the dandelion in isolation it's actually it's actually a gorgeous flower but yeah. for some reason it, it it isn't liked um whether that's again, you know, it's just a mindset thing over the years that it's in a it's in a lawn. It looks out of place when there's a few popping up here and there. But if you pick the flower, it is in its own right. It is a beautiful flower, and then obviously has huge benefits for for pollinators at a time of year when there isn't that much else. So I think the real the real challenge is to shift mindset. Exactly. Yeah, dandelion is just the most amazing plant. You know, you're right. It's like this, you know, spark of colour in in spring. You know, I suppose if we could start seeing it like that, you're right. It's a beautiful flower. It is packed full of pollen and nectar. Amazing, amazing amount. Even though you might not think it, brilliant for for all insects at this time of year. You know, once it even goes to seeds, you know, you have someone in a garden, you know, and then once they go to seed, you see amazing birds coming in, you know, and feeding off the seed, goldfinches and things, which don't come into the garden other than to come in and feed off the dandelion seeds. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, sure, we all remember back to, you know, blowing dandelion pots <clears> as children. So, yeah, it, it's a fantastic plant. You know, it's it's a fantastic wildflower. And I suppose you're right, if we could change attitudes a wee bit, you know, it would yeah. make all the difference. Um, I know there's a kind of a, would you call it a debate that is going now in relation to, I suppose the differentiation between a floral meadow and a wildflower meadow. And I covered a double podcast episode on it last year where I had Sandra Cofola on the first episode, which was specifically about native Irish wildflower meadows and, and what that entailed and, and so on. And then the follow on episode was floral meadows. And I think most people, most people buy either or, but if they buy the floral meadow, they're generally buying it with good intentions. Yeah. And I often see that they get slated then for not being native. Now, I understand the argument. I don't think that someone should be slated for it because they are trying to do something positive. So I think it is really about the education piece as opposed to, you know, you've done something wrong here. And 
it's not that the floral meadow doesn't have some you know benefit from pollen and so on because it does but it, i think it's it's obviously not native but as i say i don't think it's a case of you're wrong i think it's more a case of the education piece is really important here yeah and no, I, I couldn't agree more and, and you're right people you know do this with complete best of intentions and fair play to them you know for, for being willing to take actions um i suppose yeah you're right it is it's completely community it's an educational message that needs to be communicated properly and you know i suppose one to me is a horticultural action you know which is fine and the other then is a biodiversity action so if we can reinstate natural meadows most people don't know let it grow that approach is the best way rather than planting anything but reinstate those natural meadows that has knock-on benefits for all biodiversity whereas the other one you know can look nice but it is it's more of a horticultural action so i suppose yeah no it is it's just a you know it's about communicating it all properly yeah that's a very good way of describing it and as i said i did did back-to-back episodes on it last year and that was the gist of it that one was yeah it's a floral meadow rather than a wildflower it's important to have that differentiation right it is and you know i understand people are frustrated like my background's in in plants and botany and you know i've seen so many areas at this stage where people have gotten rid of something which was amazing to put in something that was only okay you know so they're deliberately planting in somewhere as if they'd let what would be there naturally just come back it would be long term it'd be sustainable it'd be fantastic for biodiversity you know but there is this temptation to you know to 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 go for a different option and again you're right it's just about communicating all that clearly yeah communicating the message um i suppose in terms of in terms of the lawns then as well one you know and again it stems back to i suppose planning and, and so on and this is why the plan is incorporating all bodies but I know, for example, when I built my house here, um, I had to be back so many meters from the road. I had to have a minimum size of a site of two acres. And you end up with this quite large space at the front, which mm-hmm. traditional thinking would say a lawn goes in there. And and I suppose that there was probably no need for me to be back that far from the road. But the the perception is that that should be in a lawn area. And I think that is the biggest challenge. But the point I'm trying to make is that in some cases, these large areas have been forced on people from, you know, from uh, planning authorities as well. So there's there's definitely a huge education needed there to say that, right, this does not need to be in a lawn. And that it could be just let grow wild. and And there is beautiful wild as well wild doesn't necessarily mean untidy yeah no that's 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 absolutely right yeah you're and you know just by not cutting your lawn so much it's not mean you're letting it go wild you know in our front lawn we just cut about once every month or six weeks so it grows you know say i've got dandelions at the minute then other things come through now i live in you know rural houses no one else does it so ours does look different but you know, I suppose that's what we need to slowly change, that it's okay to do that if you want to. Whereas before, you know, there would have been a lot of pressure that, no, it's not okay. You know, everybody's lawn had to look the same and they all had to, you know, be really tightly known because that's what looked neat and tidy. And I suppose that's okay. It does look neat and tidy. But if we do that, every word has implications, you know, okay. it has implications for pollination service, you know, which is important to us as well. So just in relation specifically then to your lawn, uh, which mm-hmm. which you're, you're not mowing, yeah. um, 
have you done anything with that except not mow? Have you planted in no. anything specific? So you've just no. left it? And never in a million years would I plant something into it because just by not mowing, you let what's naturally there come back. So, no, I don't. I don't. I would never. My, there's nothing wrong with putting, you know, wildflower seeds in your garden. I would, if I was to do it, I would put personally, I would put it into, you know, a pot at the front door or some sort of planter rather than do anything else with it. But with the lawn, no, it's all just letting things naturally come back. And year upon year, it improves. More and more little species pop up, you know, year after year. And, and it, but again, it comes back to just changing your attitude about what's, but what you like to have around you, I suppose. And I'll be totally honest, sometimes, you know, particularly later on in the season, as I say, we do it in the front and then in part of the back, because part of the back is for the kids to play, but there's another part where we have a strip of longer grass. But in the front, you know, we do let it go a bit longer. And sometimes I know myself when I'm coming back and going, oh, God, looks so tidy in comparison <laughs> to everyone else's. But yeah. then whenever I get there, and I have never, ever pulled in on the bike or the car or whatever and got out and not seen bees on it. So at that stage, I think, you know, I don't care if it looks untidy. It's you know, it's it's really, really helping. It's so, doing you know, what it's it supposed just, to do. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And just out of interest, what is say, the the neighbours' feedback to letting the lawn grow? I know it's your garden, and you can do what you want with it. But I know a lot of people are influenced by you know their neighbours and what their neighbours do. As you, you often see yeah. when somebody paints a house, then the next po- house has to get painted, and so on. So, what what is your neighbours? Or do they say anything about it? I suppose it varies. And, you know, it's a wee bit easier for me because a lot of people know what I do. So, yeah. you know, they, they understand maybe. It's, they I'm understand not the connection. Doing it out of the blue. Yeah, exactly. So it's definitely easier for me. Um, they've been mostly really supportive. Of course, there's people who think it looks untidy, you know, but that, that's always going to be the way in the same way that I don't particularly like their tidy one, you know, <laughs> each, each to their own, I suppose. Yeah. And what I do do, to be honest, is mow around the outside of it so that there's a little strip so it's clear I'm doing it deliberately. Yeah. Um. You know, so I do do that so that they know it's something intentional. You can also, and I, I haven't done it, but you could put a little sign into it to say, you know, it's managed for wildlife or, or whatever, whatever way you want to phrase it. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's just yeah, it's it's difficult, and I have full admiration for people you know who do it in other areas where they do face the backlash. But, you know, there's more and more and more people doing it and, and fair play to them because honestly, the impact of doing something as simple as that is huge. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the the signage piece is hugely important. Obviously, it's it's not so important in a, you know, in the domestic setting, except that it tells your neighbours your, what you're doing. But yeah. when it comes to parks, and I forget where now, but I saw a park last year with a really good meadow that I don't think was a cultivated meadow. It looked like it looked like one that they had stopped mowing, but also yeah. added in maybe seedlings into it. Okay, yeah. Uh, and it looked fantastic, but the signage was top class. So yeah. they, there was several big signs that were just telling people what was happening, but there was also signs about this is uh, birds for trefoil, this is clover, this is, and then there was pictures of the individual pollinators and what they were and it was really engaging and i just can't think actually where it was now but it was super but i suppose what that does is in an indirect way it's shown leadership by doing that but it's also educating because you know these big signs with the beautiful bees on it the beautiful butterflies on it they were really interactive for kids as well so it was creating a conversation 
I thought, yeah, I thought no. that was a really, really good way to go. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, that really is the only way to go if you want, you know, the local area to buy into it, I think, and, you know, to, yeah. to see it as something that they want to have. I think it could have been Kilkenny Castle Park. I'm not oh, okay. 100%, but I think okay. it could have been. Yeah. Um, but it was really good. What's your opinion on, you know, B hotels, um, bug hotels, this type of thing? Obviously, they're they're a nice idea. How beneficial and how needed are they in in your opinion? Do you know, so since the start, we've got um, tw- nine, sorry, ninety eight wild bees. So there's twenty one bumblebees now. They nest on their own, so they just need long grass, tusky grass, bees of hedgerows. So they they all find their own nest largely. Then there's um, seventy seven solitary bees, and most of those, so about eighty percent of of those. Um, nest in bare soil so they just make a wee tiny burrow into bare soil they tend to use it where it's south or east facing so again you know you can easily create that in your garden if you want you know a kind of a bank of bare soil in a south or east facing location and the the mining solitary bees you know will come along and and burrow into that and make their nests then the last um, batch i suppose there's 15 species of cavity nesting solitary bees in ireland and they are the ones that will use existing cavities which is what you're replicating with it with a bee box or a bee hotel. Um, so there's a handful of species, you know, that, that can live in gardens and will use bee boxes. And they, they can be really good, to be honest. I would say that solitary bees don't fly far from their nest to feed. So you need to make sure that if you're going to put up a bee box, that it's the right size, that you put it up in the right place and that it's really close to flowers that they can feed on. Okay. But to be honest, if you do those things, you know, it, it's it's fine to do. I would say, you know, you'll put it up, put it up if you want, and you'll see, you know, after a year if it's being used, if it's not, then, you know, move it somewhere else. Okay, yeah. As as we look at the the plan for the, for the next five years, what are the, the major objectives? Obviously, to increase the, the pollinators is, I suppose, the overriding one. But is there specific things that you're looking to looking to hit and looking to target with this plan and what are the major ones within that yeah largely to be honest it's about doing more so it's about doing more than we managed to do in the first phase we want to you know engage more you know manage more land for biodiversity and we want to monitor more so we know what's happening so that i suppose in a nutshell is what it's trying to do um yeah so we want to like for example with farmland you know we want to better engage with farmers we want to more positively promote the positive things that are happening on farmland you know promote the pollinators that you find on farmland a lot better to get farmers you know more engaged and hopefully you know taking more action to help mm-hmm. like within public land there's already which is fantastic two-thirds of councils have already you know signed up to the pollinator plan and agreed to take action within the public land that they're responsible for so you know we want to increase that you know get that closer to almost all the councils across the island what we also want to do is is to celebrate more what we've achieved already so you know like you were talking about with with the meadow you know with the lovely meadow that, that you were mentioned with the signage there's amazing examples where habitats have been recreated in the first phase of the plan you know whether that is meadows or, or you know orchards or hedgerows that are being managed in a really good way what we want to do is try to identify really really good examples of those and kind of get them into a pollinator trail that would run right across the island you know that would be promoted and identified and people could go to these sites and and see what a really good one looks like and hopefully you know get inspiration 
to do that elsewhere. So we want to do things like that. We want to engage with new sectors. So one of the big ones that we'd really like to target are healthcare sites, you know, hospitals, clinics, nursing homes, which we really didn't engage with in the first phase. And, you know, when collectively they manage a lot of land, we'd love yeah. to be able to engage with them. There's huge scope there. I mean, the actions that you take for pollinators, they're really good for humans as well, you know, for our own health and well-being. You know, if you sit in a pollinator-friendly garden or meadow, those are good. Those are good, I think. You know, and yeah, I, sure. I think we need to make more of that link. And I think that's really important when it comes to those kind of healthcare sites. Um, so lots and lots of things that we want to do, I suppose. But generally, it's just to do more. It's to build on what we've already achieved and, you know, to bring more people involved, get more people doing things to help. Yeah, to talk about it and, and to be educated on it. Um, as I say, it, the, the plan brings together pretty much all the, the major stakeholders and there's there's probably certain se sectors that are more difficult i would imagine it's probably more difficult to sell the message in a large-scale agricultural setup because every inch of land is being used for whatever crop they're they're growing but it still probably is easy on any farm to to find areas that can be given back, you know, whether that's around the back of sheds that, you know, there's nothing happening there anyway, or individual strips. Um, I know I'm reading a, a very good book at the minute about regenerative agriculture, and they run strips down to the fields, and it's a multi, it's a multi-layered strip, so they have nut trees on it, which they harvest off, but then on each side of it, there's a strip that's just left grow wild. Um, and and obviously the flowers and so on sprout up there, but it's in a highly productive field, and then they're using these strips to just well for a few purposes to break to break wind to um, create corridors and just to create a bit of the biodiversity in the overall field. So is that the sort of I suppose is that what farmers should be looking towards? And is it a challenge? Is is the agriculture sector probably one of the most challenging to to break into and get, I suppose, acceptance in? The agriculture sector is the most important one to engage with because you're right. You know they have you know most land, so we have to influence agriculture yeah. if we want the plant to be a success. There's no doubt about that. Um, what you said is exactly right. All farms, regardless of the type or the intensity of it, can become more pollinator friendly. And actually, we have a project at the minute running within the National Biodiversity Data Centre is called Protecting Farmland Pollinators. So we got some money through the European Innovation Partnership and the Department of Agriculture to run this five-year project. So there's 40 farms in Kildare of all types and all intensity levels. And we're showing exactly that, that all farms can take really small actions that won't impact on the farm as a business. So it's not going to impact on productivity. but that will make that farm more pollinator, more biodiversity friendly. So as I say, we're, we're showing that at the minute. And I suppose the hope is that with these 40, we can show it working. We can show, you know, how relatively simple it is just with small changes. And then the hope is, you know, that that could be rolled out on much, much wider scales. But, yeah, no, it is. There's simple actions, you know, that can be taken on farms that, that make a huge difference, um, I suppose, one of the positives from the research that has been going on on farms is that there are still pollinators there. Sometimes my fear is that, oh, God, it's too late. But that's yeah. not the case. You know, they're still there. So, but we have to start changing things now. 
which is why it's so important, I think, and so urgent to start making changes. So hopefully, you know, through through the Pollinator Plan and other biodiversity initiatives, that there can be more biodiversity brought back into farming. It's not asking farmers to farm nature, that's nothing. You know, they're farmers that are trying to make a living. But it's about making small changes, you know, that will allow biodiversity back onto farms in a way that's not negatively impacting other things that they're trying to do. Yeah. And there's there's lots of things that you can do. Oh, you know, I would say if bees could talk, there's two things they'd ask us to do. One is, to, you know, to have more flower in hedgerows. And the other one is to stop mowing grassy areas so much. Oh, that's that's a really good, a really good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, so if bees could talk, they would ask for more flower in the hedges and less mowing and grassy areas. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's brilliant. Um, I've never heard heard that quote before. And uh, it really is, it's a simple one, but yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, the All Island Pollinator Plan has a specific website. I know you'd, you'd probably like to direct people there and you are always looking for business partners and people to pledge their garden and so on. So can you kind of direct people to where you would like to direct them? Yeah, so we have a website, it's pollinators.ie. And if you, if you go on there, Hopefully there's everything that you could want. You know, we've got lots of guideline documents that we've developed for each sector, you know, whether it is a farm or a council or a garden or a business. We've also got lots of little animations and videos that you can watch just to try and, you know, explain what it is that we're trying to do with the pollinator plant. So loads and loads of resources on the website if you're interested. We do also have a new initiative that we launched a couple of weeks ago. We're asking people to pledge their garden for pollinators. And again, we've produced a little flyer. It just shows you things that you can do in the garden each month. And then, you know, it lists various types of actions that, that you can take to help. And then you can actually go into the site and pledge your garden. So you say, OK, yeah, no, I am going to do this. So say, you know, we, we launched this a couple of weeks ago and I think there's almost 600 people have already pledged their garden for pollinators. You know, so be fantastic, I suppose, if, if more people could do that, because really, collectively, there's so much land, you know, in private gardens and it creates these little pit stops yeah. for, for pollinators and other biodiversity in our landscape. You know, and you can't and stress how important they can be. Okay. And so what does that process look like? Somebody pledges their garden. What what exactly is happening? Yeah. So what we're just asking them to do is to have a look at the resources that we have. So I said there's, you know, a four page um, booklet, which just it explains things that you can do each month to help. Yeah. Um, it highlights a few of the pollinators that you might spot in your garden. And then there's a little infographic which shows what a pollinator friendly garden might look like. And then you can just go in and say, actually, yeah, so there's 10, there's approximately 10 actions, you know, whether it's planting pollinator friendly perennials, whether it's reducing new mowing, letting dandelions flower, you just tick which ones it is that you're willing to commit to and pledge your garden that way. Okay, really, really good. And and, and it's, it's a way of, I suppose, lending your support and, and getting involved in the movement as such. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're we're pretty much um, wrapping up here now. The As I said at the start, the plan has been, you know, on a, on a worldwide stage, it has been got a lot of attention because of how well thought out and how it brought everybody together and seemed to use positive messaging as opposed to you know, the sort of negative, you're doing this wrong, you're doing that wrong type of approach. So a huge congratulations to yourself and to Jane for, for the initiative in, in the first place and for everybody who has sort of got involved to bring in this new plan through. And I really hope it's a huge success. 
And Una, thank you very, very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Thanks, John. It's lovely to talk to you. So that's been this week's episode. It was uh, really, really interesting. As I said, the, the second plan out now and, you know, there really has been huge strides made. But as Una said there, it's going to take possibly to the end of this second plan. So that'll be a 10 year cycle before the real benefits in terms of numbers can be seen and tracked and monitored. So it is important that everybody plays their part. You know, as I say, the, the plan was on a worldwide stage was was seen as being very in, innovative and it certainly it certainly has been well received. But it's important that everybody, I suppose, shifts their mindset maybe and thinks about it a little bit more and thinks about what they can do to play their part in that, whether it is on a balcony on a, in a window box or whether it's reducing mowing or cutting out mowing or adding more flowers that are pollinator friendly to your garden or whatever it is if everybody can can play a part i think the the long-term benefits for for everybody are huge so i think that's pretty much it that's been this week's episode i hope you enjoyed it and until the next time happy gardening